We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DeVirginia. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Alright James, it's time to call the hogs. It's Arkansas. This is so funny that we're here with them. You looked at the schedule before. This is like your pl- this is the one you would say definitely first win you would check off the schedule. Now that they're competitive team, obviously. Uh they should be they're three and three. They probably should be four and two. Um that's remarkable. So old Flippy Franks coming back into the swamp, leading those Razorbacks at three and three against the number six ranked. University of Florida Gators, who are at four and one. The game line is currently UF favored by 17. We should note right here, uh, as of we're recording this, there is a tropical storm somewhere off the coast of Florida. Uh, Etta, Eda, what her ETA is, we do not know. Um, so something to note, well, obviously we, <laughs> we have no idea what's going to happen with this tropical storm slash hurricane. Anyway, there you go. All right, last meeting, 2016, Arkansas crushes us 31-10. to 10. The last 10 meetings, though, UF is 9-1. Arkansas is coming off a win versus Tennessee. And old Felipe threw three touchdowns. Their coach, Sam Pittman, who we talked about, former offensive line coach at Georgia, his first year, it's been remarkable. Uh, as of right now, it has come out that he tested positive for COVID. So what that means for him Game week, what that means for their program, we're not sure. No real updates at the moment, whether he'll be coaching in this game or not, whether that's a false positive or not. Can't really say. Um, Let's talk about the talent edge. Very strong edge for Florida, of course. Arkansas currently 25th in that talent composite. They have 24 stars versus 44 for UF and no five stars. Returning starter in production, you know, slight edge to Arkansas. They've got 14, eight on offense, six on defense. Their coaching staff, we talked about him before. They're one Kendall Bryles from the Bryles family, previously at FSU. This is his first year there. And another familiar name, Barry Odom, former Missouri head coach from 2016 to 2019. It's his first year as well, obviously. So 
some notable coordinators there to go along with old Sam Pittman. So, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people, let's say they question the hire. Look at the SEC West, all the big names, and you're going to hire an offensive line coach that nobody's heard of. Well, they look like geniuses right now because of the way the Arkansas is, is playing. He has certainly turned around the culture of that team. He's taken what they had and tried to win with it. So, I mean, I think if you're an Arkansas fan, you have to be ecstatic. I don't know where this can take you, what his highest level is, but he's certainly a major upgrade of what you've had there the last eight years or so. Yes, sir. Or whatever his saying is, right? That's what he loves to say. Uh, I believe so. But but yeah, Arkansas, what a job they've done. You, know, you watch them on film. They're so improved. They're so sound. And we talked about this before the show, Alan, but Kendall Bryles was the you know the famous Willie Taggart, you know, um, post-Willie Taggart era. He's going to come in at the end and save the day, right? I say post because I think we all knew that he was going to be gone. But he's going to come in and save the day. We're going to run this new offense. It's going to be super simple but yet complicated. There's no playbook, all these like really weird, bizarre things. But what's interesting about this, Alan, is on Arkansas, Sam Pittman obviously told him, do away with all that stuff. We're not going to run anything super up-tempo where we try to run you know, a snap and then run another one five seconds later. In fact, Arkansas plays at a normal pace. So this is a really interesting marriage. That you take a guy in Bryles who I'm going to consider to be, it's not a gimmicky style. The Bryles coaching tree works. It's a good system. But his style was the most gimmicky. It was very high school-y, gadget-y. And a lot of that, to be fair, is still there. But to take away the biggest gadget of all, which is the no-huddle super speed ability, is, is really just unique. I think it's unique that Pittman would do that in the first place. And it has been working for them. They're, they're very methodical on offense and just a different challenge for Florida. I think what I've liked the most this season about film study, Alan, is every team we play each week plays with a very different style with the exception of Missouri and Georgia's defense, wildly different styles. And that's what makes football such a special sport. And hopefully all of you out there listening are really appreciating that too, is that's what makes it fun. If you play the same kind of style every week, it actually gets boring, but so many different ways to play the game. And Arkansas is going to be one of the most unique ones yet on both offense and defense, given what Florida's played all season long. Uh, Alan, Felipe Franks, much maligned from this podcast. I lost <laughs> a lot of my my mental acuity <laughs> going on the pod and talking about Felipe Franks and breaking down his skills. I can't believe that he is now going against us. What a surreal world. And that he's having a nice season and they've managed him really well. He's still the same guy. He's no different on film than he was when he was here. But he's throwing for 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, three just three picks, and 66% completion percentage. So it's the best statistical year he's had. Right. And we, we've seen that he's he became a competent player. You could win games with him, especially at Arkansas's level. He's maybe the perfect guy for them. He can win games. He can do special things on occasion. Um, it had to be way better than anybody they were going to trot out there. So even though for Florida, he was never going to be the guy to get you to where you want to go. He was never going to lead you to where you wanted to be. For Arkansas, I think he's been great. No, he's been fantastic. And that's the thing. Although we walk into this saying, all right, Franks, a lot of, a lot of tough feelings, frustrated thoughts. Now we're happy. Everyone's happy. He's happy. 
Trask is happy. Florida's happy. It's a happy ending to the story in all reality. And of course, when Frank's left, we wished him well. You know, we, yes. nothing but hey, hey, success. And he's had it, which is wonderful. So first question to answer, like I already teed off, is Frank's the same guy? Has he turned a corner? Is he doing things he didn't do? No, he's the same guy. He still looks at his first read. He still has really terrible pocket presence. He still doesn't want to scan the field ever. He still escapes the wrong way. He still likes to run the ball. He's the same exact guy. And he still has the big arm and the athleticism. Correct. So he still has those intriguing things, right? So he's no different. He's playing the game the same exact way. Any growth that he's had, which he has had, is that he just takes even fewer risks than before. And again, in Dan Mullen's offense, it wasn't like Dan was asking to take a lot of risk, but we were still trying to do more than what Arkansas is doing with him. So in that regard, good fit, good fit. And I thought it was bizarre when he went there and I was wrong. Arkansas turned out to be a decent team this year and it seems to be a nice fit for him. And they knew that. So good, good for them for identifying that. As we mentioned, Franks is coming off a great game, especially for him against Tennessee, 18 for 25, 215 yards very yardage like Frank's game, right? Two fifteen, yeah, and three touchdowns and no picks. So he's feeling good. He's riding high. It was a clean game. They did pretty much everything they wanted against Tennessee. It was a close game for most of the game, really for all of the game. It will be a different challenge against Florida. Here is what I picked up on film and doing the deep stat dive that you that you have come to know and love. Felipe Franks would much rather go against zone. So he's fifty of seventy eight for five touchdowns and one interception with a passer rating of 112. So passer rating 112 against zone. Against cover one and cover two man, so man defense, he's 16 of 34, two touchdowns, two picks with a 62.5 rating. So half as good, half as good. Struggles mightily against man defense. Keep that in mind, it's going to be important. In general, and since we've come to, I think, be known for this now, Franks prefers to throw left, middle, and right. And this perhaps won't be surprising to a lot of you who watch Franks. Given that he has a big arm, he wants to throw hitch routes on the outside or he wants to throw go routes on the outside. He's got a big arm. Big arm guys like that stuff. He doesn't like the seam throws because those are confusing throws. He doesn't want to throw the ball to the hash mark or on a dig route. He doesn't want to throw the ball where you have to lead a guy. He doesn't like that. So predominantly not his thing. He really struggles uh, to throw uh, really in, in all reality, this is funny that he struggles to throw to the right middle and right more so than the left. So now here's the guy who struggles to throw to the right versus man, like precipitously down. So man defense, left side Allen, passer rating of 80. Man defense, right side, 55. I mean, how much now, is at times that like... you may think it doesn't matter, but I'm, it matters. We saw it with Stenson and it matters with Frank. How much is that small sample size of, you know, just weirdness or weird success like i mean in one season could you really attribute too much i mean i guess it it bore out against georgia we haven't been talking about this left right thing until it was so weird with stetson well i think you have to be careful that's not true we talked about it with kellen mond that's true i think you have to watch the film and here's what i'm going to get at so trask which you've commended on this very podcast has excellent pocket presence which we've said from the beginning which is why he can throw to all fields really well franks has a certain way he likes to escape the pocket left he likes to escape to the left so that's what generally explains it as a guy who has bad pocket presence his preferred escape route is left when he's escaping right he doesn't like it as much he's inaccurate makes bad mistakes that's almost exclusively why that number is worse because he's not he's rarely throwing straight from the pocket right plus some guys and this makes sense if you're a righty some guys would rather throw left it's a more natural torque 
because you're coming across your body. And Felipe Franks not being what you would consider an accurate thrower, he's an all-torque thrower, can drive harder down on those throws. So Right, not as open his body up as much. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it comes down to technique. Of course, sometimes this could be noise, right? But I think for some of these guys that are flawed, Stetson Bennett, Kellen Mond, in this case now Franks, these are real things. And I think you would expect to see this continue against Florida. I would expect to watch something like this happen. The key against Franks with man is he does want to either launch the ball deep or take a short throw. But here's the more interesting things with Bryles. This is perhaps the most important stat we're going to talk about is they really want to throw a lot of short passes. In fact, they rarely throw passes, Allen, 10 yards or further in the air. They rarely, rarely do it. So despite his huge arm in their playbook, they're not often let, he's not often letting that ball go deep. Right. It's more of a scramble drill kind of play. Yes. More of a scramble drill kind of play. So keep that in mind when we get to what we're going to wind up doing. Players to look for. Players to look for here. Uh, number 22, running back, Traylon Smith. He's their primary pass catcher. Also gets equal carries to Rakeem Boyd, wearing number five, who was featured on Last Chance U. And their go-to receiver is Traylon Burks. They do spread the ball around a decent amount. They also will throw the ball to their tight ends. There's not an obvious target monster on this team. They are giving up a lot of sacks, as is the norm for a Felipe Franks-led team. Not throwing a lot of picks, and they have a very low third down conversion rate, which again makes sense. That's one of your best quarterback metrics. They're at 36% primarily because Franks is going to look at one guy and then leave the pocket. So if you cover that guy adequately, you're good to go. So what is Arkansas going to try to do against Florida? Do what they always do. Run the ball a lot. They run the ball more than they pass. They prefer to run it as much as 60% if they could. Even though their yards per carry is not that yards good. Yards per carry is not good. They're not a good running team. But they're gonna. this is a Sam Pittman's influence. They're going to force feed, slow the game down, shorten the possessions. They run zone read on nearly every single play. Felipe Franks is their leading carrier. 72 carries in the year. He will carry the ball quite a bit. And they're going to run a whole host of gadgety plays, Alan. You can expect lots of backfield motion. You can expect weird formations. You can expect throwback plays where the receiver will throw the ball deep. I expect them to bring the kitchen sink out. It's part of what Bryles does. Expect that on Saturday. And then all in all, they do want to play it safe. So the mandate for them is don't turn the ball over. Let's try to stay in the game as long as we possibly can. We don't want to get in a shootout. They're excellent at not committing penalties. Excellent at not turning the ball over. And it's going to be like the Georgia recipe. Can we just keep hanging around and hope that Georgia doesn't score on us? Georgia eventually did against them, right? And for us, I think they're going to cross their fingers even more and hope we don't. Because if you get out to a lead on this Arkansas team, it is over. They have right. no ability to catch and up. And that's a well-coached team with managing what they have in their personnel. We're not going to make mistakes. We're not going to turn the ball over. We're going to try to be efficient at what we do, even though we can't do all the things we want to do efficiently. So, yeah, I mean... They, they are interesting because you have this kind of weird simultaneous thing of if you watch Felipe's last game against Tennessee, you see just a vintage Felipe play where one, he bails from the pocket where he shouldn't have. And then he just throws an absolute rocket down the field to, I think, Burks, who catches it, turns up field. I mean, a long throw and scores a touchdown. I mean, it's a beautiful throw with not a lot of room to throw it into a pretty tight window into a place where he probably shouldn't have. <laughs> He shouldn't have had to roll out of the pocket to do it, but he did it anyway. So there's that, or he can toast you down the field. So you do have to respect it somewhat, even though they're going to run a ton of short stuff. No doubt. So what should Florida do? This is one of the easier game plans, but this is a counter Grantham game plan. And that's why, as we teed up earlier, we're going to see 
how much of Grantham is really going to shift from himself and how much he's going to be himself. So first of all, Florida should play a lot of cover one man in this game. That's an excellent strategy against Franks. The numbers bear it out throughout his career. And on top of that, you can use a dropping defensive lineman occasionally to get into the lanes he likes to throw. He likes to throw quick slants like any other quarterback that doesn't read the field. So you can drop a defensive end, Allen, right into that window. Once Franks is confused, he'll play into your hand because he will leave the pocket. Then from there, make sure you generate, of course, edge pressure against Franks. This is the opposite of Tessin Bennett. With Franks, you don't want to bring middle pressures because he wants to leave the pocket. Bring your pressures on the edge. Whether you have your linebackers stunting to go out to the C-gap, which is the edge gap, or you're bringing even a nickel to then replace, send edge pressures. Corner pressure still oftentimes too far away because Franks is going to leave the pocket anyway. But regardless, focus on the edge of your defense. Make sure you maintain good gap control. Uh, Franks is just 4 of 12 on the entire season, Allen, on passes greater than 10 yards. That's wild. 4 of 12. This is before last week. Zero touchdowns, one interception with a rating of 30. So as you mentioned, if he throws deep, it's a scramble play outside like the one you just highlighted. If he throws from the pocket and he's versus man, he hates it because he's not going to throw it deep. He's going to run. So the play you saw is against zone, which is why that guy gets loose around the end. So again, with Franks, man is definitely your default. You want to go with that. And of course, things any Gator fan knows make Franks win over the top. Otherwise, a big army is not accurate. Doesn't typically drop that ball where it should be. Make him throw the ball over the middle of the field where things are confusing for him. He doesn't like that. And primarily, again, deny letting him throw to his first read, which means get your pre-snap alignment to a place he's not comfortable with. Don't be 10 yards off. Don't give him an obvious throw. Make sure that you're confusing his pre-snap read. And then from there, Alan, if the Gators really just play this entire game, even doing half those things, but they got the numbers right every time, lined up in a sound position, and mind their gaps, Arkansas is not a team that can score more than 20 points on the Gators. If they just did that correctly, that they're not going to score more than 2024. And that would be enough for Florida to win in the worst case scenario. We just gave you what we hope is the best case scenario for Florida's defense. Okay. It's funny talking about Franks on the opposition research here. Let's talk about Arkansas's defense. Not a supremely talented unit. But one that has played well in certain circumstances, they've had some turnovers in their favor. Tell me about them a little bit. So they're below average rushing D, but an excellent passing D. One of the best in the country against the pass. They have low yards per pass because they really keep things in front of them. They're top 10 in interceptions. They're very opportunistic. Based off Matt Corral a ton. Correct. But they have very few sacks. So they generate almost no pressure and they really don't even care about generating pressure. This does make sense given their offensive strategy. It's consistent across the board. Arkansas plays an incredible 59% of their passing snaps in dime. 59%. That is unbelievably high by contrast. Florida's played less than 15 snaps in dime the entire season. So Arkansas's played hundreds. They're one of the country's leaders in that regard. Again, dime is 60 Bs instead of 5 DBs. They're playing only one linebacker. That means Florida, when those in those scenarios, if it's third and four, third and five, could choose to run the ball as opposed to passing. Uh, they only play 13% in man. So this is an interesting game here. They're going to probably almost certainly double Tony. They're probably going to double Grimes. They're going to make Florida move the ball down the field methodically and attempt to make them just drive, 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 which Trask has proven time and time again he's more than capable of doing and he's comfortable doing. So interesting matchup here. Um, number 10, their linebacker, Bumper Pool, Which is one of the 
All-time great, great names. Bumper pull is a great name. Uh, number 31, Grant Morgan. Those are their two biggest playmakers. Their best defensive lineman is Jonathan Marshall with one sack. He's their sack leader with one. They're several with one. Does have 15 pressures. And then their safety, uh, Jalen Catalan, is their biggest playmaker in the back end. He gets them lined up correctly, uh, allows them to play a variety of coverages. So Arkansas, Allen, this is a strength on this is a strength on weakness for them. Florida is worst against the dime passing wise. Now we're great against everything, but if you had to splice out something statistically, our lowest passer rating is against the dime. Well, it's often because you're going to see that in bad down a distance. And correct, important note to state there. So this is where the rubber is going to meet the road. Is if it's third and fourteen, teams playing dime against you and they're good, it's hard to convert. But what happens when they're playing dime on second down and four? We're going to find out this weekend. We're going to find out. Arkansas's sole game plan is going to be to bend, but don't break. Bend, 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 bend. Get to the red zone. Try to keep Florida out of the end zone. That will be their strategy. You can expect Florida to rack up a ton of yards. Arkansas is going to be perfectly okay with that. And they're going to try to opportunistically steal a turnover, force Trask into a bad decision. Uh, just it's a, This is a battle of patience for them. They're going to be very patient on defense. They don't care how many first downs they give up. This will be a very interesting matchup. If Pitts is out, expect them to heavily, again, as we mentioned, double Tony and Grimes and make Florida throw the ball to other guys. You can expect that to happen, even even allowing Florida to run the ball. I think they'd be happy, Allen, if Florida ran the ball 50 times in this game and controlled the clock on them because that would mean we probably don't score 60 points. So keep an eye on that. Florida's offense needs to be patient. We've talked about this before. Just like AM, when you play a team that wants to play tons of coverage on you, just take what the defense gives you based upon the look. Do not force anything. Don't give yourself any pre-snap reads. Just let it, read it out, let it happen. Take your yards. Florida's got a lot of playmakers that can get a lot of yards after the catch. Trust that to happen. Florida is superior athletically in almost every regard. So get your guys in space, let them make plays, and then trust the offensive process, so to speak. Yeah, it's, this is a this is gonna be an interesting little chess match from people who don't have the all the chess players that they would need. Um, yeah, we'll see how this plays out. We'll get into our keys of victory here in a second. Um, so special teams a strong edge for Florida here statistically and personnel wise. Penalties. This has been one of the times that we've not been in this lead in this category. Edge Arkansas, very few penalties from them, but they do generate a lot of turnovers. A lot of those came in one game. But they do have an edge. Florida's defense has not generated a lot. Um, you know, the Georgia game helped that a little bit. Um, and time of possession, edge Florida. Which is surprising. Yeah. But that tells you that's because Arkansas's offense is such a low yards per play. And they that they're allowing the other team to possess it as well. Also correct. It's a game of like, like we said, it's a game of chicken. It's like, we'll keep the ball for a while. You keep the ball for a while. Just don't score touchdowns and we're comfortable. Okay, injuries, suspensions, right? So this is as much as we have more info than we normally do probably with this. Uh, Kyle Pitts, questionable for this game. Uh, Stuart Reese, I was about to say David Reese, but Stuart Reese, questionable. Jeremiah Moon, doubtful. Um, Who knows what those mean, really? Uh, Jeremiah Moon would have been probably helpful in this game. You're talking about dropping a defensive lineman or a linebacker into coverage. He's probably our best guy to do that. That mutes that a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the staff does with the offensive line. Uh, Ethan White, presumably available in this game. We've talked about him every week. Uh, but Kyle Pitts is obviously the headliner here. His availability, I think, will affect this game. Obviously, if he's in the game, 
you have to account for him, opens up things offensively. I think we can be successful without him, obviously, but reduces your margin for error. Would you play him in this game? What do you think? I mean, if you clear concussion protocol, then absolutely. That's that's very rigorous and rigid. We had joked, the three of us, uh, Stack Eye Duty, as we're calling him, and, and you and I, Alan, in the, in the pregame, joked about how that game that Tim Tebow played against LSU off of concussion protocol, which 11 or 12 against years Kentucky. ago, oh, Kentucky, sorry, uh, was not the same as what it would be today. There was no way, in my opinion, Tim Tebow is playing today if that same thing happens. The protocol is way too rigorous, and, and that's good for the health of the athlete. There's no wiggle room. It it almost never happens that you get taken out of a game because of a possible concussion and then come back just seven days later. And truth be told, Alan, we don't need Pitts to win this game, but we need Pitts to win anything that matters. So if I'm a coach, even if he gets cleared on Friday, I might just not play the guy. I don't want to risk another brain hit. It's not worth it. You can win without him. Yes, he affects your game planning for real, but you have Trask. Trask matters more. Win the game without him. Keep him safe. But no doubt, Alan, that's the biggest effect of the game, and it will affect the game. Uh, but again, Trask, he's the guy that matters the most. He's healthy. Let Pitts rest up. Get him good to go. We're looking downhill at a very favorable schedule, as we mentioned, which is going to be great for Florida to get health, uh, get healthy. And this is a game where if Ethan White is healthy, Alan, you got to get him in the game. You got to start having your offensive line play, even if you're rotating him in some to kind of see what he's like. See yeah, how he that feels. would be a good move for them. Yeah, you got to start playing him in this game. You got to get him going. Game prediction time. What are your keys to the game in this one? This is an interesting um, one. Like, what is we've been excellent in the red zone. So what is our field goal versus touchdown percentage, right? Are we executing around the around um, the goal line without our touchdown monster, Kyle Pitts? Um, he's a guy we've turned to when we need a play in the red zone. Not having him, we'll have to be much more creative, right? We're not a team that typically runs up and mashes you, although maybe we are able to do that against Arkansas a little bit more effectively. So what is our, our red zone? Are we kicking more field goals than we're scoring touchdowns? That's going to play into their favor. So that's one thing on the other side of the ball. Um, are we, this is weird. Cause it's weird di- diagnosing Felipe Franks and trying to get him. Well, do we limit big plays from, they're not going to want to do this all the time, but they will have some, like you said, gadgety plays he will escape from the pocket. Does he hit a big throw? Honestly, dodging those bullets will mean that we most likely win the game almost every time. So that that feels like you're counting on Felipe to screw up, and that's fine. So I'm, I'm good with that strategy. Yeah, that's definitely a good strategy. There's a lot of things we could look at. I do expect Florida's running backs to have an excellent day on the ground in this game. We should, we should have a significant amount of rushing yards because I think by design— Arkansas is going to want us to run the football. They're going to give us looks to run the football. Given what our O-line has been doing and how guys like Pierce have been breaking tackles, Naquan's been dangerous, Malik, this should be almost a coming out party for our backs on the ground. I expect that to happen, but that's not the key to the game because we could win even if that doesn't happen. You already mentioned it. It's just simply red zone scoring. We're one of the best teams in the country at red zone scoring. Arkansas is going to play a game of red zone defense, and if that's the game they want to play, they're going to die on that hill. That is, in fact, the key to the game. 
So for me, it's what is our red zone scoring percentage? It doesn't even need to be that high because again, Arkansas can't really score more than 24 points on a max output level on us. We just need to score it at probably even, you know, 55, 60% touchdown rate. That's probably enough in this game to win. That would be a close win, probably enough. So pay attention to the red zone scoring percentage. Again, Florida has been extremely proficient in this, especially scoring touchdowns over field goals. What score prediction do I have? Yeah, since I'm I get to go, you first. to go first. Here. I know I got to go first. All right. I think obviously I love that pits in this game. I'm excited about the potential use of the offensive line. Having watched Arkansas on film, they are really capable against teams that have some deficiencies on offense. We don't have the deficiencies they need. So I don't think they can slow us down. I think this game is going to get out of hand once we get up. And I think this is the week, Allen, if you're Dan Mullen, you're not playing a scary team. Great trial run here of knocking somebody completely out of the game. Knock them out of the game. Don't let them linger. When it gets to be the third quarter and it's hanging in the balance and you're up by three touchdowns, but the fourth one knocks them out, knock them out. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say that Florida scores uh, a healthy, a healthy 43 in this game because I think Arkansas is just going to do what they do on offense. They struggle. They don't get a lot of yards. Uh, even against Florida's defense, that should be fine. So I think Florida wins this game uh, quite handily. Uh, 43 to 20 43 to 20 so spread 17 that's a cover for me what do you got this is funny uh i'm gonna go 44 17 so we are averaging 40 points we talked about over 40 points i'm not sure the exact number is uh so the only reason it wouldn't be higher if you're looking at just the talent deficiencies and the the rates at which we're scoring you'd be like we're gonna put 60 65 on them but I don't think we're going to get enough possessions to do that, right? So that's the problem. Um, them scoring more than 17, I think it starts to get problematic. That means they're being effective. That means they probably turn the ball over. The, the game gets a little... But I think this is probably like... So 44-17, that means we're... That maybe is a little score late from them to close that. But I, I'm expecting this game to be a blowout. Even though we just put up 44 against Georgia, you don't think we can score more against Arkansas? Well, the I think that's by design, like you said, for them. So just to generate enough possessions to do it. And again, to be fair, there's a narrative where we score 70 on sure. them. Sure. Texas A&M scored, scored 42 on them, Alan. That game got close at the end. But if A&M can score 42, certainly we can score a bunch more. I mean, that's, that's default. But I think what both of us are saying here is I think Arkansas is going to employ an even more extreme version of the defense they played against AM. A lot of this just has to do with the matchup. And that's one thing about playing a team as high powered as Florida is you might go to extreme lengths to try to limit possessions, which you might not do against AM, which I think Arkansas lined it up against AM and thought we might be able to beat them playing a more normal strategy and the game got away from them. So that's a lot of what we're leaning on, right? If Arkansas plays us straight up, and I'll put this out there right now, if Arkansas plays us straight up and they wind up not playing such a bend but don't break defense, then I think you can count on Florida to score above 50. Take it to the bank. There's no, They have no chance of stopping us. They do not have the talent on that defense, which is why by default, I think you and I are both picking in the 40s, not because we're going to get on the podcast and say, man, they really hampered our offense, but because they're, they're going to just try to grind this clock out. Long drives, keep everything, make Florida take eight, nine, 10 play drives. That does eat the clock up. And if we're completing Especially every if you're single pass, well. yeah, and if we're completing every pass like Trask might do, Clock doesn't stop, and it's just hard to score 60 points in those kind of games. And our defense isn't the type of defense that's going to be 
you know, most likely turning over Arkansas, giving us a short field. So that's why we are where we are. But this game could go a lot of different ways. I think it's almost impossible to see Florida not scoring 40 in this game, though, Allen. And it's not difficult to see us going way higher, depending on how things go. So either way, this game, I, I expect to still be interesting. I think the first half of this game, I'm really interested in watching. It's another test for Trask to pass, another defensive style to go against, a super heavy dime team that has had some success slowing teams down. So a lot to watch for, despite you and I both picking a rather comfortable and lopsided score. All right, James, time to thank some more patrons. So everyone on this list, thank you guys so much. Really, really thankful for you in this season of thankfulness here in November. First, Josh Kravick, Weston Jones, Stephen Kaufer, Libgator, Libgator, who puts out a lot of stuff on YouTube. Yeah, like that's actually you. Whatnot. Yeah, that yeah, is. That's, yeah, that, that's him. All right. Cooper and Kylie Craig, Alfred Garcia, Chris Goles, Mark Rubenstein, Phil Coover, Craig Scarado, Sean Long, Brent Walker, Rafael Fernandez, Joseph Para, Ramis Lamberte, Kevin Stegan, Mimo. I don't know who that is, but I like it. Uh, Mike Bryant, George Lee, Glenn Merritt. Sean Williams, Benjamin Sykes, Patrick Barnett, Jeffrey Nielsen, and Ski Gator 93. I love it. Benjamin Sykes has been silent this year. He sent us some good uh, breakdowns in the past, analysis and otherwise. So, Ben, wherever you are, reemerge and send us some good stuff. We, we enjoyed it. All right, let's talk about this week's slate of games. Uh, not an impressive one and maybe be less impressive by the time we get to Saturday. All right. The much-discussed Georgia Bulldogs, they're now number 12. They're favored by 12.5 at Missouri. So the reason they're favored by 12.5 is because Missouri is going to is going to play good defense against them. That's what we know. Now, Missouri's a man-defensive team, which we also know that Stetson favors. So I find myself stuck here between a rock Stetson's and, a, playing this game. and a hard place. You think the concussion's going to keep them? There's no way they're playing Mathis. Okay. If JT Daniels plays, I'm all over Georgia every way from Sunday. But Georgia, this is a, a game of reckoning for them, I'm going to call it. Their fan base is not behind them right now. Despite all the success they've had, there's tons of frustration. Now you get a Missouri team who kind of thrives in these roles. They've been formidable. I like the spot they're in. They have nowhere near the talent to be at 12 and a half, Allen. Uh, but... I just don't know where Georgia is right now. You have to question their mental state. I would not bet on this game. I'm be the first to say it. I don't like this game. Wouldn't touch it. But I'm going to go with Missouri because I'm going to ride this. I don't know where they are. I don't know how they feel about themselves. I'm going to pick Missouri because of that. I'm going to go Georgia. I mean, this line at 12 and a half, under 13. It's too good. It's too good for it's me. Too I, good. I, I'm with you on that. I, I think this will be a close game. But... 13 is fine for me. Georgia should handle them, but I just I wonder about I the like emotional it. state. Go and for again, it. I'd still stay away. All right, number nine, Miami at Virginia Tech. Did our intern incorrectly put this line in because it feels crazy? Virginia Tech favored by two and a half. Well, that certainly seems like that could be the curious line of the week. Virginia Tech loses to Liberty. Miami's ranked number nine. This is where Vegas knows something we don't know. Miami's yeah. been flirting with disaster for here. sure. They've Virginia just, Tech can't score. And Virginia Tech can score a lot. And Miami, they can too. I mean, they can too in the right circumstances. I don't I don't know what to do with this one. Another one I would not touch. Two teams that are difficult to predict. 
but I will take the Hurricanes here as an ode to my my childhood love. Yeah, I guess I have to go with the Hurricanes. I mean, if I was running a Miami podcast, I'm sure I'd know what the heck was up here, but I... Without the right kind of info there, I, it feels wild to take Virginia Tech. All right. Number 10, Indiana. Wow, that feels crazy to say. Favorite by nine at Michigan State. You have to take Indiana here, I think, until proven otherwise. So Indiana it is for me. Yeah, same. Okay. Uh, down on their luck, Penn State. Still favored by three at Nebraska. I don't know where Penn State is. I don't know where Nebraska is in this situation. At this point in time, I'm going to take Nebraska, who seems to be less down than Pitt at the moment. I don't know, man. They're both scuffling hardcore, but I'll I'll, I'll join you here with Nebraska. All right, in a game with a high COVID case count, so this game might not happen, number five, Texas A&M, favored by 12.5 at Tennessee. I like this line a lot. I think AM is hitting their stride. I think Tennessee is going the wrong way. I don't think this game is going to happen, but I'm taking AM. I'll I'll join you there as well. Uh for a lot of those reasons. I mean, AM feels like they figured it out offensively a little bit to the point where that line is low enough for me. All right, number three, Ohio State. Only favored by twenty five at Maryland. Can Maryland do something here? So this is gonna be a heart pick. Uh Ohio State. I think we'll be ready to play this game because Maryland kind of announced themselves. So this will be a fun game for them to play, which is not good if you're Maryland. But again, I'm going to ride the, the, the Tua, the little bro Tua here as far as I can ride him. And 25 is still high enough that at the end they could kind of slip in and, and, and get into that number. So I'll take Maryland, man. I'm going to go Ohio state here. I each, this number is high. If it were any lower, it's slam dunk for me, but man, that's, you might get me on that one. Okay, Auburn at Mississippi State postponed till December 12th already. So so we won't pick that we one. We won't pick that one. A lot of things could change. All right, number 13, Wisconsin. Will they play? Will they play? I assume they are playing this one. We've missed them last couple weeks. Uh, favorite by one and a half at Michigan. Only one and a half. That curious line of the week part two. Um, Wisconsin doesn't play. I don't, I don't even care right now. I'm taking anyone against Michigan with that low of a spread if they have a quality team. So I'm taking Wisconsin. I guess you have to. Yeah, give me Wisconsin. We get to pick this game every week because we enjoy their misery, I suppose. Florida State at NC State. NC State only favored by six and a half. This is the lock of the week to me, and I don't ever want to make an ACC pick the lock of the week. But look, at some point in time, you got to recognize that Florida State, Vegas, you got to recognize they're not, they're terrible and they're not getting any better. NC State's having a quietly decent year this year. They're very competent. They play good football. Although they lost a heartbreaker to Miami, I think they feel good about themselves. I'm taking NC State. Man, we are we're gonna live and die together here. I'll, I'll go NC State as well. I mean, I again, I've been on record. I can't give Florida State less than seven points. Come on, South Carolina at Ole Miss. Ole Miss favored by seven. Are you feeling the Rebs here? Again, South Carolina, the bloom is off the rose. It's been off the rose. They're falling apart. They're going way in the wrong direction. Ole Miss still feels like they're ascending, and for no other reason than that, I'm gonna take Ole Miss. Yeah, give me Ole Miss too. I, Offensively, I don't. I think they're going to put up enough points that seven feels very doable for them. Notre Dame, man, they are riding high this week. They're rushing the field. They're favored by thirteen and a half at Boston College. I love this spot for Boston College. I would like it a lot more if the line got to fourteen. Thirteen and a half is 
mm, just right where I don't like it. So I'd probably I'd probably push this line up to 14 and then take it. Uh, but for kicks and because I really like what Halfway's doing there, and I think this is a tight spot for Notre Dame emotionally, I'm going to take Boston College. Yeah, me one. too. I mean, we are <laughs> we're either going to do awesome or terrible this week. Man, this could really wreck us. I don't like the way this is trending. But yeah, with Boston College, I, they've been competitive. It's at home. Notre Dame, I'm thinking of a very famous Boston College win, one Doug Flutie. Who knows? All right, Alabama favored by 23.5 at LSU. Again, also a tentative high case count from LSU. <laughs> which B-Red says is potentially after a Halloween party from the Auburn game, that's which great. is amazing. Great work there. That, that's that's what interns do. They they give you great information. Okay, so number one, Alabama. This game, normally the game of the year. LSU obviously won last year. Maybe a revenge game for Alabama. What are you thinking? This would be my lock of the week, but because I don't think it's going to happen, I didn't want to make it that way. So instead I went I went with NC State. But if it does happen, Bama at 23.5, I think Bama's going to – beat them like a drum because anytime Nick Saban gets a chance to crush an annual rival, especially one that just won the national title, he will do so. And this LSU team is nowhere near 23 points within Bama, but I just don't think it's going to happen. But for me, I'm taking Bama. I'll join you there too, man. Wow. Only two differences there. So Steve, one Daytona Steve. Daytona Steve. We've been waiting for this segment. We talked about it last week, Alan. Who's been tracking some of our collective picks. He's going to have a field day with this. Okay. It's time for a new segment featuring Daytona Steve. James, take it away. I'm so excited about this. So it's it's Daytona Steve and not Stanford Steve. For those of you that watch Scott Van Pelt on ESPN, Steve, we've mentioned all the time. Steve Seitz, constantly our degenerate gambler friend who bets really tiny amounts of money. Yes, it's like it's the least form of degeneracy. Yeah, like if you look at percent of betting versus net worth, it's like infinitesimally small, but he <laughs> loves it and it's so entertaining. Uh, his friends like Eric Mutz troll him because Eric Mutz says he's a better gambler, but it doesn't matter because Daytona Steve, this will be his segment. So we asked him to send some stuff in last week. He failed this week. He brought the heat. Alan Daytona Steve loves to play $1 parlays on long shots on like so, multiple game parlays. So each week you're going to enjoy seeing his picks because this is what you want to do when you're trying to have a lottery ticket, but these are researched Stanford. Steve does his research. Daytona Steve does his too, just on a different level. So what we have here is a parlay, and this is a multi-team parlay in college football. We have Coastal Carolina, minus 8.5. We have Indiana, minus 7.5. Miami, at 2.5. Oregon, minus 7.5. Bama, minus 24. So he's on several of our picks here. And Cincinnati, at minus 27. The odds here are 46 to 1 for that bet. So if you bet a dollar, you win $46, which I can assure you Steve will be doing this weekend. Uh, Daytona Steve also says, for those that want less risk, <laughs> you can teaser those six games and the seven points, therefore bumping up your point total for Miami and et cetera. If you're not familiar with this, just know that teasing allows you to it. raise your spreads, but you can get five to one odds if you tease it up appropriately. The lock of the week is Indiana getting the W. Over Michigan State. I see you refers to him in this. Text. And yes, Windiana. I was going to say that with the, with the Daytona Steve nickname of Windiana. Minus seven and a half there. That's his lock of the week. So you've got multiple lock of the week here. You've got me with NC State. You've got Daytona Steve with Windiana. 
And for those of you who like golf, it is Masters Week this week. College game day will be there, Alan, which is making one Justin Sites very upset. It yes. makes me happy. He wants I, don't, to I think pre- it's great. Preserve the tradition. He uh, gave us some crap for our pro college game day at Augusta stances, but uh, his loss. And I remain right there. I love it. I'm excited about it. In a year of COVID, why not? And these guys love, Daytona Steve loves to bet on golf. So if there is an informed bet, it's this one. The obvious bet, he says, is that he likes Dustin Johnson. He likes DJ at 12 to 1. But if you want longer odds, he's really all over Webb Simpson at 33 to 1. There so there it go. is, the first ever Daytona Steve segment. Great success in my eyes. All right, so you, we forgot to give the name of this parlay. It's the Tasty Parlay of the Week. That's a good point. How could we leave that out? I don't know. I don't know what next week's will be. But for now, Tasty Parlay of the Week. And if you win, we'll give you we'll give you Daytona Steve's contact info so you can thank him for the uh, the pro tips. Any other items, Alan? No, we've covered we all of the items. Super, super megasode. I mean, if we're ever going to record one after that Georgia win, it, it was deserved. So hopefully you're enjoying this extra long megasode. Yeah, no doubt. We had fun bringing it to you. As always, if you like the content, check us out on social media. Drop us a donut on Patreon. Check out the YouTube channel. Uh, and communicate with us. Again, we do the show for you guys. The reason this show is so long is because you keep telling us, hey, give us more content. And we oblige on behalf of Alan Williams, Stat Guy One, Josh Duty, Intern B Red, and yours truly, James DiBergilio. We will sign off until we see you all next week after hopefully a dominant win over Felipe Franks and the Arkansas Razorbacks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.